In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we are now in the liturgical year. We're in the second Sunday of Epiphany. We're in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany is the uh, English word for the name of our season. We actually take that from the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the, the name of this season is called Epiphany. Epiphany comes from the Roman Church. In Chaldean, the name of this season is called Dinha. And Dinha comes from the root word in uh, Chaldean called Daneh, which means to dawn. And to dawn, the idea of the dawn is the sun comes up from the east and it rises upon the darkened world and gives clarity. It gives light to the world and brings clarity to this world. Now we can see clearly. And the, the symbolism behind it is really beautiful, which is that before Dinha, or the thing that we celebrate in Dinha, which is God revealing himself to us, before this, the world was in a darkened place. We didn't have understanding. We didn't have clarity of mind. We were confused. Humanity was confused. And so God brought clarity to that confusion by bringing light upon the world when we were in darkness, when he revealed himself to us. And so the season of Epiphany, or Dinha, celebrates and commemorates that in Christ, God reveals who he is to us, and that revelation brings clarity to our minds and to our lives. Now we can think clearly, now we understand better who God is, what the world is, who we are, when God reveals himself to us. And that begins last week, which was the first Sunday of Dinha. Last week, the Gospel reading was on the baptism of Jesus. And that is a great revelation. This is something that we celebrate in a major way, because in the baptism of our Lord, Jesus is baptized. There we have the Son going into the Jordan River and coming out of the river. And the Father speaks from heaven and He says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit comes down upon the Son, upon Jesus, in the form of a dove. And so you have there, at the baptism of Jesus, all three persons of the Trinity. You have there the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father speaking from heaven, the Son being baptized, and the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of a dove. This is the first time that humanity has ever, uh, it's ever been revealed to humanity that God is three persons in one God. This was a big revelation. This week's gospel reading is very similar in kind. This is the beginning of the gospel of John, the very first words of the gospel of John. And John begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made, anything made that was made. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a very difficult gospel. It's written as a poem in Greek, and it's a very beautiful poem. But it's very difficult to decipher. What exactly does it mean? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So who is this word that is in the beginning with God, who is distinct from him, but is also God himself? John is telling us about the inner life of God now. You see, because John uses the first words of the Bible to begin the first words of his gospel reading. In the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the whole Bible begins, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, starts with the story of God creating the world. John says, let's go back a little bit further. Let's rewind even before God created anything. Let's go back to the heart of God. Who is God in himself? 
In the beginning, before the, before the beginning, God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now this revelation that God is three persons in one God, you and I know it, you and I believe it, we make the sign of the cross and we say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, do we really know what it means? Maybe to some extent. But this is the central mystery. This is the highest mystery of the whole Christian faith. Everything is built on this. The whole faith is built on the reality that God is three persons in one God. And we don't often talk about it. I think sometimes we run away from it because it's so difficult to understand. Because this teaching that God is three persons in one, this is something that we're never going to fully understand. It's not going to happen. We are not going to fully understand it on earth. We're not going to fully understand it even in heaven. Only God fully understands God. But there's a lot that we can learn when we try to understand even a little bit. Because this is the central mystery and the highest mystery of the Christian faith, it brings great light, a great dawning, a great uh, clarity upon our darkened minds. Let's talk about it a little bit then. I don't usually like to do very uh, highly theological homilies, but every once in a while they're fun, so we'll give it a go. What does it mean that God is three persons in one? God is one God. One in essence, one in substance, one nature, one thing, he's one being, he's only one God. So with that, we agree with all the other monotheistic religions, Islam and Judaism, that believe that God is only a one God. Where we disagree with them is that God is alone. I know that sounds like a contradiction. That's why this is hard, you see? Where we disagree with them is that they believe God is one solitary thing, just in heaven, existing in all of eternity by himself. That he is alone. He is a lonely God. We do not believe that. You see, because what we believe is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that in this one thing, in this one being, there is a community of persons. That there is a family of persons. That the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit each is a person distinct from one another. Each is an actor, a subject that acts according to that one godly nature. That the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. That they are all distinct from one another and yet united in nature, united in being to one another from all of eternity. Why is this a clarification for us? What does this have to do with us? This seems like it's very uh, overly conceptual and it doesn't have any practical purposes for our lives. Why would God tell us about Tell us, about, uh, tell us about this. Why would he say this about himself? Let's go back again to the book of Genesis in the beginning. God creates everything. He creates Adam. And everything is perfect. There's no sin yet. There's no imperfection in what God made. Everything is great and dandy and perfect and beautiful and everything like that. And yet God says about Adam, it is not good that man should be alone. Why? Because God created Adam and Eve in his own image and likeness. That means we human beings are created in our souls to look like God, in our spirit to look like God. We are created to be like God. We are created in his image. Like a painter paints something and somehow leaves the stamp of his inner life and his soul on the thing that he paints. Or a sculptor sculpts something and somehow there's the mark of who he is in his heart in the statue that he has carved out. So God creates human beings 
and leaves his own mark in the heart of the human being. That means we are made to be like God. And the more we are like God, the more human we are. What does it mean then to be like God in this sense? Yes, it means to love. Yes, it means to know things, to know the truth, to contemplate it. Yes, it means to be all those things. But above all of that, and especially in the way that Genesis presents it, it's to not be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. It's to live in community. We are made for community. We are made for family. We are made to live with one another. That means that the more we live in community in our hearts, truly in our spirits, we're living with other people, the more we are living with God in our hearts and in our spirits, the more human we are. And the less so, the more we are distant from other people, maybe not physically, maybe just in our hearts. The more we are distant from people, the less human we are. The more we chisel away at our humanity. What does it mean to be a person? Well, God the Father is a person. The Son is a person. <clears throat> but the Father is only Father in relation to the Son. You can't be a father without a son. And the Son is only a, only a son in relation to the Father. Because you can't, have, you can't be a son if you don't have a father. That means that the very definition of God the Father is what's incorporated in that is that the Son lives with Him. That they live together. That they are united to one another. And that's not different for you and I. I'm not a person if I am, if I am not living with other people. And I don't mean physically. I mean in my heart. If I don't allow people into my heart, if, I don't, if I'm not allowed into the hearts of other people, I have chiseled away from my own personhood. And I'm beginning to degrade myself from being a human person to something more like, unfortunately, one of the lower grades in the animal kingdom. This is why, brothers and sisters, in the teaching of the church and in the law of the church, why the church says that we are, if we've committed grave sin and we haven't confessed it, we're not allowed to receive communion. Because look at the gospel reading. In this gospel reading, what is everything presumed so far before John writes anything? We have sinned against God, we've offended Him. And yet God, the Son, whom we have offended, through whom everything is made, including us, so much loves us that though he is offended by us, he does, he's not bitter because of us. He doesn't hold it in his heart against us. He's not unforgiving towards us. On the contrary, he goes out of himself to come meet us, to become one of us, to enter our world and to take on our flesh, just to come meet us and bring us back to himself. He goes infinitely way out of his way just to come meet us where we're at and then bring us up to where he's at. And the way he does that is by not just grabbing us and taking us by the hand. No, it's by suffering for us and dying for us on the cross brutally. What do we do so often? Somebody offends us and we hold it in our heart against them. We offend somebody and we hold it in our heart against them. We don't apologize, for example. Husbands and wives do that. Parents and children do that. Brothers do that. Sisters do that. Siblings do that. Friends do that. 
When we do that, this is grave matter. Because it's breaking the very foundation of what it means to be a human being as created by God. It's breaking the very foundation of what it means to be a Christian. Which is that Christ came after we've offended him while we were his enemies. And came, he came and reconciled us to himself. And if we don't do the same, how can we receive communion? Which is the body and blood of Christ. Which is given for, to us to unify ourselves with him who came after us after we offended him. It's a lie when we receive the Eucharist and we have something against our neighbor in our hearts. This is why the church says that if we've committed some kind of sin, grave sin, and we haven't confessed it, we can't receive communion because we're lying in the very act. If we don't go to Mass on Sunday, the church makes a big deal out of this because if we're not living in relation to God, we're not in communion with God. And so we can't receive communion because the act of communing with God in the Eucharist would be a lie in and of itself. If it goes unconfessed, that is the law of the church for this reason. And this is why St. Paul says that we eat and drink condemnation upon ourselves. But God is always ready to reconcile us to himself. He always wants to reconcile us to himself. In fact, he literally died to reconcile us to himself. If only we open our hearts to him and are able to soften our hearts, then we can really be in union with him again. And if only we soften our hearts and humble ourselves with one another, then can we be reconciled with one another again. But this is the fabric by which the entire world is made and by which it runs. And without which it is a completely broken thing. Reconciliation, mercy and forgiveness and love. This is the thing that the world is built according to. And this is what it's built for. And when we hold something in our heart against anybody, when we offend God in our hearts and we, un we, we don't confess it, when we are uh, uh, bitter towards other people in our lives because of what they've done to us or what we've done to them or because of something like this, then we are working against our own nature. We are degrading our own personhood and making ourselves less than human because we're making ourselves like less than God. So brothers and sisters, when God reveals himself to us, he does it for a reason. He teaches us that he is within himself a family, within himself a community, a community of three divine persons that live always in relation to one another, always exchanging themselves with one another. This is the image by which we're created, and therefore, this is the way we must live. And when we fail to live that way, it's okay. We can confess it to God, we can apologize to our neighbor, be reconciled, and then continue on the journey towards imitating God until we reach Him. Amen.